The first thing when I ask the same question is they say there's complexity, there's pallet weight, there's length. Uh, something else that we realize is that let's that old vine wines not just not necessarily always show the varietal characteristics, but it actually shows sight. In this episode, I'm talking to Andre Morgenthal about the old vine project in South Africa. Hi, Andre. It's so lovely to meet you here on Zoom. Good morning, um, Petra. Thanks very much for the opportunity. Nice to see you. Yeah, lovely to see you. And um, uh, I know you are based in in Stellenbosch, and from there you you um, do the old vine project. So this fascinates me very much. This project that you're doing. Yes, it's a it's a very interesting project. You know, um, I've I've been doing this for I think five and a half years now. Ran it from scratch. Um, basically, how it started was um, you know. 20 years ago, Rusa Kruger, who's a prominent viticulturist here in South Africa, became interested in old vine wines. And she traveled the world to try and understand why old vine wines are different um, than um, any other wines or from, from younger vines. She came back to South Africa and she started looking for old vines. And as I said, 20 years ago, she started. And then she in 2016 approached me while I was at Wines of South Africa and, and asked if I would run an, an old vine project for her. Uh, she received seed funding from, from Mr. Rupert. And um, I said, yes, I mean, I've been with Rosa for 17 years. It was time to maybe do something different. And it is, as you say, a fascinating situation because it is about um, keeping old vines in the ground and trying to understand why they make such interesting special wines. Um, it's about the environment and um, we, 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 we do quite a bit of research on trying to figure out why those vines have survived for, for decades, you know, 60, 80, 100 years in one place. And given our situation with climate change, um, we need to understand where to plant um, to grow old, something that I coined a couple of years ago because we quickly understood that the mandate to keep old vines in the ground was not, you know, the sole purpose. There's more to it. There's the human factor, there's a humanitarian element built into this um, effort because the, as the vines grow older, they produce less grapes, <clears throat> which makes it economically less viable for the farmer. So if we could, we could find a model where the farmer could also benefit from, and which we have done at this point, uh, then the farmer is protected. The farm workers stay in their jobs. And the brand owners, due to the fact that it's such special grapes, make these beautiful wines, and they can command higher prices. So economically, um, it, it also turned out that, you know, if, if you look at the price points for for grapes um, delivered to a co-op, a cooperative is two, three thousand rand a ton. And what we've managed to to negotiate, I would say, is a business model for between the grape grower and the brand owner where they get more money for their grapes and the, the, the vines 
stay in the ground and the brand owner can charge more. So everybody benefits with rising prices for grapes and for wines and it makes makes it a more sustainable model for, for the industry as a whole. Now, how are the farmers open to this idea? Because um, as, as I heard that, uh, you know, it is, uh, it's about the amount of grapes that come from these uh, old vines, that it's uh, not viable for them. So how do you, how do they receive this message? It was very difficult in the beginning, and especially um, with the cooperatives that are very strict with the bottom line and, and, the, and, and the business side of things. Because when the vignettes start being un, un, economically unviable, then you know they just say, pull it out, replace it. And it's usually a sort of a 20, 25 year cycle. But it's quite expensive to replace a vignette. And if you can find a way to keep the vineyard in the ground for longer, and coupled with this model of the financing, you know, where the price go as the yield goes down, the price goes up. That's what the what the model was that we tried to achieve. The carps weren't very excited in the beginning. I mean, but you see, eighty five percent of our old vines is within those systems. But I'm 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 excited to tell you that we've got now got I think six members of our hundred and thirty members um, our cooperatives. So there's a lot of um, uh, grapes, um, old vines that can be accessed. And I think they see the value of being part of the old vine project because they elevate their presence in the market. Um, they also allow some of our members to buy in um, some of the grapes out of that system because they see the value for the, the, the grape, the, the owner, the farm owner. Um, and, uh, but we, you know, we, we started off with eight members in 2017. And as I mentioned now, we're 130 odd now. Amazing. Now, yeah. So there's definitely, that maybe answers your question that there's definitely a buy-in um, mm -hmm. to the, the concept of, of protecting old vines for various reasons. As, as I mentioned, it's not only economics, there's research involved, which, is, which, which underlines um, what we try to achieve. Mm -hmm. but it's about raising the image of not only the, the brand owners, but South Africa and the South African wine industry as well. Mm. And now, is there, a, is there a taste difference? I mean, can you, can you uh, say that it, it's, um, you know, that you can sell it on the basis of it tastes differently? There's definitely a taste difference. This is what, this is what Rosa, what piqued her interest was when she traveled and she tasted old vine wines from all over the world, is that the wines are different. And when, when I got involved and I started talking to winemakers, the first thing when I asked the same question is they say there's complexity, there's palate weight, there's length. Uh, something else that we realize is that let's, that old vine wines not, not necessarily always show the varietal characteristics, but it actually shows sight. Um, last week, we had a, a technical tasting led by um, a professor from, from the Loire, um, Etienne Yetling. He's a, he's a South African, but he's based out there. And he came out, he's doing research on regionality of, of old wine, Shin, and 
between three different regions. And uh, we were about 15 mostly winemakers around the table, three prominent um, Loire wines in the lineup and the rest South African. And there were a few wines. And for example, the Skurfberg wine from Ibn Saudi just stood out. You know, you can you pin it and you can taste that is Skurfberg. So that is something that we find um, interesting. We'd like to figure out why, apart from the fact that why they survived so long, why do they taste different and why do they show, they express where they come from. Now, do these old wines also carry um, like um, uh, illnesses? You know, that is it, could this be the reason that some of them get removed? Yeah, that that's a good question. In the 70s and 80s, we received quite bad plant material from overseas. And a lot of, um, we struggle with, with leaf roll virus in South Africa. It's not unique to South Africa, but it's particularly bad here especially amongst our, our red grapes. So that's why we have more white varieties within the old vine portfolio. Chenin Blanc being the most, half of our old vine plantings is Chenin. And they're pretty um, virus resistant and heat resistant, I mean, uh, which, which also is an interesting thing given climate change. And you know, we're looking at importing Mediterranean varieties like um, Aceptico and Macabeo and so forth. But we're sitting with old vine shinnings in semi-arid areas uh, that's been surviving for uh, 60, 80, 100 years. Wow. But yes, it, it, there is a problem, a challenge with virus. But Rosa uh, started um, harvesting along with Vititech, which is an industry institution in, in South Africa that deals with viticulture and um, propagation of, of material and cleaning up material. And she started harvesting uh, cuttings from our oldest vineyards, ranged across the varietal range, and they were—they've been busy cleaning them up. And, and soon, in the next couple of years, we'll be—we'll we'll be able to release that material to our our members for for interplanting or actually establishing new blocks. Okay. Um, and so that's an—that's a very important element that we're busy with is the cleaning up of of, of these old blocks. And then we also work with the um, French nursery Antav. They were here two, three years ago. They came and fetched DNA from our 10 oldest children. Uh, well, cleaned it up. We cleaned it up over here to France, um, cleaned it there, uh, looked at the DNA, and that material is going to go to their clonal garden and also be available for us to use again. Um, so that we have typical South African Shenin clones. We have arrived in the 1650s uh, for Jan van Rieve to plant. Is, is the, the clones are, are, are not, they, they're different. Um, and the French wanted to understand why it changed. And we also want to understand that. And so the next project we, we're going to work on is a um, clonal research project with University of Stellenbosch and the French okay. to understand what clones we have here, because that's something we can't do at the moment. You can't take DNA from um, a, a plant and actually say, this is clone number so-and-so, and we this will be groundbreaking work. But now, how do you date these um, vines? Do you have records of, uh, you know, if, if a farmer, for example, have these old vines, how... 
Um, how do they prove that they are actually old? South Africa and our industry has got an um, industry body called Salvas. They look after st statistics and records. It's, there's, there's nothing else like it in the world. And it is because of Salvas that the Old One Project can actually uh, exist. Rissa went to them and to the CEO, Yvette van der Merwe, uh, many years ago, long before um, the Old One Project started, to get access to the planting records. Our, our records date back to 1900. So we can actually trace the planting date. There's a lot of old vine groupings, a voluntary groupings across the world. There's, um, uh, you will see Le Vevin on a French uh, label or Altenreben in, in Germany that says old vine, but there's no traceability. They can't tell you if it's, it could be 26 or 60 years old or, or 150 years old, mm. but the grandfather planted and it's in a diary or on a chalkboard somewhere. Here in South Africa, we can actually, through an industry organization, prove that the vineyard was planted on that day. And that gives us the, the possibility of a certification seal. Oh, wow. Oh, that's lovely. So, so we've registered certified heritage vineyards. And as you can see, there's a plant date. Yeah. On the, so that, that's amazing. So the seal is also first in the world. And again, coupled with traceability, it gives the, the consumer the guarantee of authenticity, um, a level of exclusivity, because it's so limited. And um, that what they actually, what, what, you, what the story is real behind the wine. That's another thing that, that, that's so exciting about old vine wines. There's always a story behind the block. Mm -hmm. Who planted it or what happened there or how it got there. So um, that, that, that brings more complexity to the, to the whole narrative. And, and I think for, for collectors as well, you know, that must be very interesting if you start collecting these wines from the yeah. old wines and you, you have these uh, different stories then connected to it. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, but the, the thing with the old vines, especially with the seal, it's so limited and exclusive. You know, you, you, there's only so many cases made per old vine wine. So um, it's very um, desirable yeah. to have, you know, to have an old vine wine on the dining room table. And I've also been speaking to winemakers who talk about the um, organic, you know, the going very organic and also with the soil, the way they treat the soil. Um, and I'm thinking now uh, these, and we've also um, learned in the last years more about uh, the microbiomes and, um, and how that affects everything. So is this also something that the the old uh, vines have that they, you know, because they're so long in this, uh, for such a long time in this specific soil that the microorganisms are different in the root systems, for example. Yeah, I would, I would say that the, um, it's very important to keep soil healthy. That's some of the first things that I think that uh, you need to look at when you um, try to save an old vine. Often these old vineyards are really neglected and not being pruned for years and just left alone. And the cattle feed on the leaves and, and, the, and the grapes. 
or the sheep. And the farmer just doesn't bother with it. It's too expensive mm -hmm. to carry on with it because there's no yield. Or they just harvest a couple of uh, crates with it and then it goes into a blend. So when you revive an old vine, um, what's very important is soil health. So mulching and some compost and then pruning. Pruning is very, very important. Um, to, uh, you know, Rissa always tells me she would find an old block that gives you less than two tons a hectare. Um, she revived the oldest um, red block in South Africa, which is a Sinso, from basically, I think, 500 kilograms per ton. And it's up to five and a half after um, a green harvest. Beautiful shin, um, Sinso that um, that she revived. So that that the, the pruning is is essential, and um, alongside with what we do as as the old vine project, we do old vine pruning classes to the okay. vineyard. So we coupled with Falco, uh, which is the Swiss uh, uh, shearer uh, manufacturer, mm. and they sponsor our um, pruning classes. So our members have the possibility of sending their senior um, pruners that actually look after the old vines. And um, we do about four or five pruning classes per year just before pruning starts in winter. And uh, it is amazing to see um, the results of how excited people become to when they understand why are they pruning. We do a theory class. We... Um, uh, Falco talks about um, looking after your shearers, the importance of, of maintenance. Um, we've got uh, one of um, Russ's uh, protégés, uh, Sheldon, he talks through the process of pruning, what to do and what not to do and why you do what you do. Uh, and then I talk about the value of great wines to sell overseas, that if you don't prune correctly, you don't get great grapes to make great wines to keep the whole business, the whole value chain intact. So that's quite satisfying. And then um, coupled with that, um, during lockdown, we couldn't do the classes because of um, COVID. And um, a former colleague of mine, Petra Meyer in Germany, had this idea to give back to the industry um, because everybody was suffering you know, without work and especially in the tourism industry, and try and not be able to sell wine. And um, she sat down with a few German importers and they got this idea to create a wine from which the proceeds will come back to South Africa to help the people. Wonderful. And so the, the, the one beneficiary is the Cape Winemakers Guild Protégé Program, um, which is something, uh, it's a project that we straight on um, started years ago. Uh, he and what they do is they bring um, wine, young winemakers with, with, with potential and they push them into the industry after their studies and they work under the, some of the best winemakers for a vintage or two to learn and fast track into um, the industry. And the other part of the, of the funds comes to, to the Old Vine Project. And with that, we train more people. Uh, we've got a... Old Vine Academy that my colleague um, Nadia is, is developing, which would be an online training course of, on what is the value of old vines, how to sell the wine that was developed, which is called Invini Wetu, 
And that wine is also certified old wine. Um, wine is a Sinso Pinotage blend, and that's being sold um, mainly in, in Europe. And um, that training course, then you can get a certificate when, you, when you've completed it. Amazing. So, but then again, with COVID, we couldn't train. Oh, and okay. Nari came, came up with the idea of the academy, so she started writing this the back end of that. And then Rosa said, but we have to give people something. Petra actually said, why don't you give, do soup kitchens or just feed people? It's winter, it's cold. And um, we spent a lot of time thinking about what would be the most sustainable uh, contribution. And we thought, okay, food, you feed one person, you won't feed a family. Um, and then it's not sustainable. So Rosa said, why don't we give them gumboots? It's such a simple thing. But... People really suffer when they don't have a jersey or proper shoes to work in the cold yeah. conditions in winter, with pruning especially. So we bought gumboots, labeled certified heritage vineyards through the Invenuetu money. And um, we delivered last year um, to uh, almost half of our members. This year, every person who will come to a training class uh, with Falco will get an Invenuetu um pair of boots as well that's amazing i love that yeah because, so yeah it, so, sorry it's it's not so it's it's not only about the old vines it's about the people and what we yeah. what how we can contribute to the future of our people and also environmental um research as i said for, yeah. given um what's happening into the um Marissa tells me that um, with uh, what she reads and research that our temperatures will go up anything from one to five degrees in the next 20, 30 years. That makes a big difference to yeah. growing conditions in agriculture. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's all, you know, we, we're talking about environmental issues and so on, but also we have to remember the people. And it's like you say, you know, when you... Uh, care for the people and care how they work and how their working conditions are, then you also get more from them, you know, because they're more, they're capable of giving more. I think this is wonderful. Wonderful yeah. project. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's important for people to understand why, why they do yeah. what they do and to mm -hmm. see the results. You know, I, uh, I show them a few pictures of, you know, where the wines end up, you know, yeah. and at what price points. So that that channels back to 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 vineyard level, and and also then when somebody buys this bottle of wine, they know uh, what the old vine project stands for. You know that it's that it's much more than just uh, producing wine. I I think this is great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's the the consumer has changed over the last few decades. Um, especially the, the the tourists, the wine tourists, they don't want to just come and taste and drink wine and enjoy the restaurant. They want to be part of an experience. They want to contribute to the community. They want to see that there's something behind the label, that, that people benefit from their contribution, from their intervention um, and visiting the Cape Winelands or any, any vineyards in the world. Um, it, they're concerned about their health. They look at their alcohol levels. Um, they uh, they want to they want to learn something. There must be an educational element to it. And what the, the with old vine wines, there's a lot of content. 
you know that that's intrinsic to to the story and the narrative. Mm-hmm. I, um, I don't know if you know the 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 to, as an example. I went to see um, uh, Francois Rotenbach, who runs the wine program for Sigita. They've got about seventeen lodges, I think, across Southern Africa, and the, the first one started in the Kruger. And he told me a story that that really um, sort of is a good example of what I'm trying to explain of how people value to be part of a story. They had a couple on a game drive from New York, showed them the anti-rhino poaching um, unit, which is a Land Rover and staff and some dogs. And they were quite intrigued. And they, um, what Sagita does is when you're a second or third visitor, you get the discount or you get a, bottle, a, a, a very nice bottle of wine. And visitors in the last two decades, he says, just sit down. Give the money to the community. Tell us where the money goes. We want to contribute to the community rather than uh, um, just have a wine. We can afford the wine. Take the discount and give you a start. So this couple um, went back to New York and they had a couple of South African wines over dinner with friends. And they sent an email back to Sagita asking or offering and said they would like to sponsor another anti-rhino poaching unit. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So this is the kind of thing that when, when people know that they are buying something like yeah. an old wine wine, they're contributing to um, who is actually behind the wine, whether it's the farm owner or the worker. And that's why we've got projects like Invini where to, um, we've got the partnership with Falco. Um, I think that that's very, that's very significant. It's not just a bottle of wine. That that's totally what I think is important, and that it's not just about any prestige, and it's it's really about uh, consciously buying, you know, and and thinking about people and about the environment. I I think it's amazing, and that that label stands exactly for that. Yeah, yeah. Now I think, and I think it all started with just to realize what the value is of old vines. Yeah. And what you can get from that in terms of research um, and the, the sustainability of an industry. As I said, we want to learn from the old vines, the wisdom of the old vines. Why are they there? Yeah. Why did they survive for future to plant to grow old? And, you know, I think sometimes it's, uh, look, I'm talking from the clouds here, but um, I I sometimes think some things are just uh, you know have to be valued for not necessarily for the money and I can understand and if the farmer needs to think about how much money he needs to earn but then if it it becomes then also a different cycle if you start thinking okay you know I I do have less grapes but I can earn a bit more. And then in turn, you know, it makes a cycle to help the environment, to help the people around me and to stand for something. You know, it's not just about uh, this uh, change of money all the time. It's just that there's a bigger project or a bigger uh, concept around it. I think this is wonderful. Yeah. um, One of my favorite stories is one of my first visits to Skurfberg where we think Everything started when we also discovered those um, vineyards um, through um, uh, a viticulturist. 
uh, one of the growers there, Hink Lang, and he passed away last year, but uh, we had lunch with him and he said they were busy pulling up the vineyards because he couldn't afford to not make money and to sustain the farm and put the kids through school. And since Sarissa arrived, she started selling off um, the grapes um, to several um, winemakers. And they pushed up the price point, as I explained earlier. Two, three thousand rand to the co-op. Now it's getting eight, twelve, fifteen, twenty thousand. And through that, you can buy a new tractor. You yeah. can put solar panels on your workers' homes. Uh, or you can use it for education for your kids. And, and that actually happened. He put three, three, his three children through University of Stellenbosch with old vine money. So it's not a silver bullet, but it helps, you know, yeah. to stop some gaps. No, that's wonderful. I think I, I really support this work you're doing. I think this is uh, really great. And it's a different way also of looking at agriculture and winemaking and, uh, and environmental issues as well. But now, Andre, tell me, what is your wish for the future for this project? Um, yeah, I get asked this quite often because we are in a, in a different, you know, the, the first, few, first few years were very difficult. We, were, we didn't really know where we were going. I, um, we were in the dark. There was no handbook. There was no guide. Nothing, it hasn't been done before in the world. When Wanzas Africa invited me to speak at Provine, I had the opportunity to visit my so-called counterparts. And I, I walked from country to country over two days and I spoke to the guys in Barossa and Argentina, Chile, Portugal, Spain, and Napa, Lodi. Um, but those were, they are all informal and voluntary groupings. There was this, it hasn't been formalized like what we've done. So, but they're all very supportive, of course. And um, and we also established that, you know, um, and a vineyard is old when it's 35 years and older, which was very important for me to get that consensus. Um, we have a conversation with the OIV at the moment. There's a working group to set these standards. But what I would like to see is that the seal um, becomes more and more important. And what we see is that from the trade side, there's, there's a pool. So there's importers and sommeliers that actually say, if you say or you claim that you've got an old vine wine, are you a member of the Old Vine Project? And secondly, do you have the seal in your bottle? And that is very important. Otherwise, they don't import buy, buy the wine. And that means we are significant in actually, we've now created a category. So it's like you walk into a wine shop or open wine, this is white wine, red wine, fair trade, whatever, Cabernet, Sauvignon Blanc, Chenin Blanc. Um, there is now Old Vine categories in wine lists. Um, here in South Africa, in wine shops. Um, I was at a launch of a, at the, at the restaurant earlier this week where um, the Stellenbosch Wine Emporium was opened at uh, a restaurant called the Wadermarkt and there is a old wine section. Wow. And that wasn't like a few years ago, nobody even thought about it. So I want to see that category expand, that it becomes more valuable for the brand owners, that is, is more value that goes back 
to the farmer and the workers. Um, I'm also, I also want to see the research develop. Um, the first research project um, on Old Vine Shannon was done by the University of Stellenbosch along with the Shannon Block Association on um, uh, aroma. Uh, what, what, why are Old Vine wines aroma profile different from young Shannon wine? So that research has been concluded and um, it is obvious that there are different um, descriptors for Old Vine Shannons. And I, I just want to say that, that we, we don't say old vines make better or the best wines. Yeah. Wines are just different and um, intellectually challenging and interesting. It's just a different category. I mean, they are, they are fantastic wines made by, from vineyards that are three, even three years old. I, I, I chatted with David Traffic the other day, who also is a, was a, is a proponent of old vine children long before we even thought about old vine on the label. And he talks about a, a French wine that, uh, that was uh, almost 100 points um, and from three or four-year-old vineyards. Gruyere Arts, also an old vine proponent, makes some of the best chinons from vines that are less than 10 years old. So um, it's not about being the be better or the best, but it, it's... So the research gives us an idea, as I said, why those vines have survived. Um, then what is interesting is that Professor Johan Berger at the University of Stellenbosch did research on the DNA and why the juice is different. So he took uh, from one block some DNA samples of young vines and older vines, and he found that the juice is different. That is something that's very significant, that old vine juice, when it comes to the cellar, is almost basically perfect. The pH, really? acidity, the sugar, and that is something we need to understand. Mm -hmm. And often old vine grapes hang longer on the vine before harvesting, two, three weeks difference from the younger vines. And then technically the sugar should be higher, but it's lower. So a lot of winemakers will tell you, all you need to do is just put it in a con concrete vessel or an egg or an old barrel and leave it and it does its own thing. Yeah, but so that's that, what I, that, yeah. We want to understand what, so that kind of research is important. Then obviously uh, from an economic point of view, what uh, Jonathan Stein is doing at UCT Business School, he's busy with a project or research project, but the significance of old vine on your label and if in the consumer perception. So so far, they've um, established that the consumer is willing to pay an average of 300 Rand a bottle uh, for an old vine wine. And the current research is on the seal and see if the seal is making a difference and the people are willing to pay more. So we want, it comes back to the economic model for, for everybody that the price points are being pushed up. Well, now that you mentioned about the sugar content in the, in the grapes, also that will affect the fermentation process probably and, and how the wine um, is going to be made or how the wine yeah. is made. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's, as I would, I would say minimum intervention mm. is key because um, as I said, the, the, the analysis of the juice is basically perfect. And also a mistake that, that, that some winemakers make is that they use new oak. Or, yeah, the idea is to 
to not inf try and influence the flavor profile because it's so beautiful and developed and concentrated and, and complex already that yeah. you shroud with um, um, and also commercial yeast. Mm -hmm. It's preferable that it should be uh, fermented with wild yeast, but that's not always possible. That's a difficult one. Yeah. It's a contentious issue. Okay. But so what I'm saying is minimum intervention to, 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 to respect the integrity of the juice. Wow, this is so interesting. I, and, and I'm also, uh, I mean, I don't know much about winemaking, but I'm very interested in the fermentation process. And, and uh, yeah, that's very interesting. And I think it's great that there's now so much research being done because that proves that there are something to talk about and something to, yeah. to learn. So, um, so that's yeah. great. Yeah. And now what we, what we also achieved now in the recent couple of weeks is we uh, managed to secure funding through a uh, wine tech here in South Africa to do research on, on clones. Because at the moment you can't go to a vine and uh, tell what clone it is. So okay. the research will now be done by Professor Jan Berger again. Um, and that, the benefit of that is that you can then, if a, a wine farmer, a grower wants to plant Shenan, that they use the correct clone for that region. So mm -hmm. the West Coast clones up in Skodov Baranistan will not really work possibly in Stellenbosch. Oh, I see, yeah. So you need to um, keep it regional. So that will be a, a scientific decision on which clones to use in which region. And but also for us to learn what we have here. Yeah, but will it also be then when the farmer decides it, it will have to be a decision, I'm going to uh, develop this block as an old vine uh, block. And so in 35 years time, this will be then these grapes so that they, from the start, uh, nurture them so that they get to get into that category of being old yeah. vines. That's 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 our plant to grow old philosophy. Okay. If you if you, if you um, marry the a, a soil type or a site with the correct um, rootstock and the correct um, variety or clone, you will be able to nurture that block um, into um, maturity, and then yeah. you graduate to thirty five years and grow older. And we break the cycle of being, having it pulled out all the time. And we have cleaner material now, so that also helps. Yeah. Clean up, actually. Just not cleaner, clean up. Mm. Well, this material. Is, what, a, what a wonderful um, gift this can be from a father to a son in a, on a wine farm. To say, exactly. I've, nurtured this, I've nurtured this for you for, uh, you know, to, to be part of this old vine um group yeah yeah i think that is that's uh, that would be a great idea yeah um, but listen andre this is so lovely to talk to you now but i want i just have now one um question for you while you're drinking wine <laughs> what are you drinking uh, by the way it's a chenin blanc oh okay <laughs> is it an old vine um, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Silly question, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> but tell me, um, can you do a shout out for a restaurant or a um, bar in your area in Stellenbosch? Yeah, 
there's quite a lot now. I mean, we've we always had maybe one wine bar in Stellenbosch, <clears throat> and currently I think there are almost six or eight that opened really? during mm-hmm. and post COVID, which is amazing. Um, but I I I work from home, and it becomes a bit lonely um, at some point of the day. So I often go to um, the Vardermark, which I mentioned, where the wine emporium opened and where we have our old wine section now, and I'll be spending more time there now because we'll you know, do tastings there. So I love go- going there and working there. Um, my favorite uh, restaurant for sushi is Genki. Oh, yeah. And um, then around the corner from the Vardermark is um, the Fat Butcher. They're the first restaurant to put our logo which is the little little uh, one over there on top oh yeah so you see that little logo next to our members there's a bit of description of heritage vineyards and then our logo is next and the Varamak did the same and um there's two new restaurants that i quite like to which is french inspired is la siema and rykarts oh yeah yeah um, we actually did a uh, sensor tasting, old wine sensor tasting with Tim Atkin at Rykart's the other day. Um, there's Folkscombe Base that was renovated a couple of years ago, uh, which is a beautiful, beautiful space. Uh, and then, of course, the, the old um, traditional Decameron. Uh, oh, yeah, I know that one. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's, um, I mean, Bertus Basson's places are, are really fantastic. Anything from Speck and Buena, which is a more tapas style restaurant, to The Acre, which is, you know, quite upmarket, mm-hmm. and Overture, which is on the wine farm. Um, then there's 96 Winery Road, which was the first winery restaurant that Ken Forrest has started, um, which is a favorite. And then uh, Christoph de Haas runs. The kitchens at Eustenburg and Glen Ellie, which I really like. Oh yeah, yeah. I heard of so that. But there's, yeah. there's there's many more. I, I, I mean, Stellenbosch is like a like a um, a treasure trove of restaurants and uh, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. and coffee shops. <laughs> yeah. And now wine bars as well. Yes. Yeah, but Andre, it was so lovely to meet you here on Zoom, and I hope to meet you one day in person in Stellenbosch. I'm going yes, coming to look you up, yeah, when I'm please there. Do that. Yeah, 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 and have a, a glass of old wine, uh, wine with you. Yes, yeah. yes, of course. Okay. Thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thank and you for I the support. Okay. Thank okay. You, bye. Okay. Bye. Bye.